this is God's word to you today. It's in those three passages. So I'll, I'll read John 2, verses 1 through 11, then we'll skip over to John 13, read one verse from there, and then Revelation 19. So this is uh, God's word to you today. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with the disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? And that's not as rude as it sounds, by the way, in that culture. And he says, my hour has not yet come. And I do want you to imagine a Jewish woman saying this. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he says, you know. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, skip over to John 13, and it says this, right before the Passover meal, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the very end. And then skip over to Revelation 19. This is how it all ends. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence. And what uh, we're doing today in that moment of silence is that we're asking God to show us what this ultimate feast will be like. Uh, both now, we get a little thimble taste of it now here at this table, but that's a picture of what the future will be. And so um, engage with me in prayer, and we'll imagine that for a moment through Scripture. Father, we thank you for uh, another day, and we ask now that you would give us a window into the future that we have with you, the communion that we have with you, and uh, there are so many things in our lives right now that push against what it is that you have come to do. 
um, not only outside of us, but inside our own hearts for the pain that we've caused other people or the pain that other people have caused us. Lord, it has made us live in a mindset that you have not called us to. It has made us live, this, this brokenness has made us live scared and uh, ashamed to show the glory that we are of, of you to others as your image. And so, Lord, Jesus came to restore all that, to fill up that which is lacking, to bring joy back into the world. And so would you show us that that's our destiny, that he is the first fruits of what's to come. And when we are in him, we participate in what is our future. And so would you do that by the Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, we come now, uh, and I want us to think about, you know, we're about to all spend time with our families and eat. Uh, not everybody has the great privilege to get uh, married. And uh, one of the things that I was talking to somebody in our church, everybody has the, the privilege of eating in this world. And, and one of the things that Jesus invites us to is a, uh, a feast. And, and we've come now to, to explore what it is that we are, are destined for what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's an experience of the ultimate feast, the ultimate party that you could ever imagine um, because it's where heaven and earth are merged into one that Jesus came to bring. This is why when Jesus first comes onto the scene of the Gospel of John, he performs this strange miracle as the first sign of what he is about, of what he's come to do. And what one of the things that you can... Um, if you ever heard the, the whole Bible explained, it can be described as a story about creation, fall, redemption, and glory. And that's what we're going to look at today through, through these meals. We're going to see that creation itself, um, embodied in the wine, is that things in their original form were, were great. And so the things that you love of earth... Uh, the things that you have experienced joy in in this world are good. And that will continue on in heaven. But we fell from the good original intent of creation. And we tend to either ruin it or turn it into idols. And that's why Jesus had to come and redeem what has been broken. Um, and then in our future, what's going to happen is that God's going to bring heaven back to earth, and that is going to be like a huge wedding feast. Now, that is sort of a, a summary of what many scholars have said. That's, that's what the Bible's about on the whole, and that's what your life is about if you look inside your own story. And so the end purpose and goal of a human being is actually to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. And so we're going to look at that uh, in these three passages and specifically want to draw our attention to what the purpose of the Lord's Supper is. Some people call this communion. Some people also call it the Eucharist. And so we're going to look at creation and fall in, in John 2. So if you look back at your passage, John uh, 2, verses 1 through 5, what's happening is that there is a wedding party that is about to die because the wine is running out. Now notice in verse 11, it says that this was the first sign that Jesus did to manifest or to reveal his glory. 
Now, Cana was not a very important town. Weddings were a huge deal in that culture. Sometimes they lasted a week long. Running out of wine and food would have been a major, major no-no in that culture. And so Jesus is addressing this problem. If you look at verse 6, it's like the camera lens zooming in. If you've ever seen a Wes Anderson film, you know how he zooms way in on something. This is what the gospel writer John is doing. He's focusing in on these Jewish purification containers. And Jesus says, okay, I want you to take those containers, and I want you to go down and fill them up with water all the way up to the brim. And I want you to take it to the Lord of the Feast. The Lord of the Feast, the Master of the Feast, was the person in charge of making sure that everyone was feeling good and that the party was going smoothly. He was the manager of the party. And the, the goal was to have a blast. And so these servants take this water to the Lord of the Feast, and he drinks it, and it's like real good wine. Um, what we would call like vintage, vintage wine. Back in the day, they used to cut wine with water so that it lasted longer. And uh, immediately a Jewish person reading this would have immediately thought about the prophets and the Psalms. Because when the Messiah came, when the Messiah came, that's when the good wine would be offered to the people. And what Jesus is saying is that I am about to, to show you what life is like when human beings and God are at one with one another. And it's like this real, real, real good wine. Now listen, why would Jesus use those old purification containers to do this miracle? Because that's very, very intentional. They are representations of the Old Covenant, of the law of God. Now, all that's going on underneath the surface, but I want you to think about what's actually happening on the ground level. Jesus is bringing a party back that's about to die. That's what's happening. And what he's saying to all of us, what he's saying to humanity, what he's screaming to us is, I like joy. I like to have fun, and I am the source and bringer of that joy, and the way he does it is that he says, look, my rules, my laws were never meant to rob you of anything. The parameters that I placed in your life are not meant to, to make you run away from me, but they are simply containers of the joy that I want to give you. And he's screaming to all of humanity, come to me the source of what you're looking for in all things. Okay. Um, there's a story in the Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. There's this dwarf who, named Trumpkin that doesn't believe in Aslan. Aslan is the great figure, the lion figure in the, this book series. Trumpkin has all this armor on and this sword, and he, he comes into the presence of Aslan, and Aslan beckons him to come closer. And so Trumpkin does, and Aslan, once he, once he gets near enough, he grabs him and starts to throw him up in the air, tossing him up in the air, so that all of his armor falls off and his sword falls off. And then he uh, puts him, with it says his big velvety strong paws, puts him down on the grass, and he says, Now, son of earth, shall we be friends? That's what Jesus is doing with you in this passage. 
we all, we all, guys, we all come in to the relationships that we have with other people, but specific, and they are representations of how we relate to God, by the way. And we have armor on. You do. And God wants to toss you up in the air and remind you that this is, this is what I'm like. God says, this is what I'm like. I've come to bring you joy. I know you've been hurt. I know you got to have that sword right now, but it's not going to be that way in heaven. It's not, it's not going to be this, this sort of tension-filled like way that you go through life where you're scared of everybody you come into contact with. That's why you got, you got to prove yourself. That's why you got to hide. It's because you're scared of God. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be scared of God. You're going, you're going for the thing in this world that I have come to give. And that's why we need this meal. To remember that creation in its essence, what we're doing at this meal, guys, is we're remembering back to a time where we were so intimate with God that we didn't have to hide, that we could be naked before him and unashamed. Which is true intimacy, which is true fellowship and friendship with God, it's, it's remembering that God himself says, son, son and daughter of earth, shall we be friends? And so, in verse 4, when Jesus told his mother that his hour had not yet come, he was saying, in order for me to come back into communion, for God to come back into communion with people, in order to play, in order for him to be the bridegroom of the church, he's saying, I'm going to have to spill my blood. I'm going to have to be broken open so that humanity doesn't evaporate all of the joy that's endemic to the world. He won't let it happen. And so he's coming back into the world, and this is the great turn of what's called redemptive history. It's the great historical turn of humanity when God becomes a human. That's what's happening. That's his purpose of coming into the world where you read in John 13, 1, before the Passover feast, this is the point of the Passover, before the Passover feast, this is the point of him filling up the wine, it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from out of this world, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. Okay? That's why love is so beautiful and costly, because it is so very thorough. He loved them to the very end of themselves. Because it says, right after that, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet in the first century. The Apostle Paul says that that's what a true husband should do in a marriage relationship, that he should wash. we were made to wash each other with the pure words of the gospel. And so what Jesus is doing is that he's tangibly showing his disciples, look, you are going to have to defile me in order for me to make you clean. You're going to have to consume me in order, like the, like the Passover lamb, you're going to have to consume me in order for you to have life. And if you don't, it's always going to feel like the wine's running out. It's always going to feel like you're just one step away from the, from the rug being pulled out from underneath you in this life. And you're going to constantly have to be busy. 
proving yourself to yourself or to other people. And what Jesus is offering to these disciples, the same thing he's offering to us today, is the seeds of redemption through the love of Jesus. And he's saying, will you let me clean you? Will you let me love you? Will you let me give you joy? And you may say, like, if I were to ask many of the people that come to a church service on a Sunday morning, like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in the gospel? Most people would say, sure, and that's good. We, we do. We do need to believe in God. We do need to confess that. But do you love those who've hurt you? That's how, that's how you know when, when a belief has been ingested into the heart. That's exactly what Jesus is embodying. That's what he's embodying for his disciples. When a belief gets lived out and it becomes a part of the fabric of your DNA. Are you, are you, able, are you able to show kindness to those who do not understand you? Who the moment that you speak, they will misunderstand what you, what you say. This is what he's doing. He gets down on his hands and knees and he lets himself get the, na- the nasty stuff on the feet of Jewish men in the first century onto him. This is what he's saying. It means to be my image in the world. That's what it means to be a human being in a fallen world. This is what it means to embody redemption in the world. This is what the world always desperately needs. It's not like any culture is any worse or better than the next. Because any culture looks at that and says, that's the hardest thing in the world. However, it's also the most beautiful. It's what the world was made to embody and to house and to see. And if you don't let Jesus do that in your life, you will keep your armor on and you won't know how to play. You'll take yourself real seriously, but you won't take God seriously. And God wants you to take him seriously so you can stop taking yourself so seriously, you know. So you can dance with your silly pants, you know, like Claire. The sacrament. We all are to one another in some ways. We're the means of grace. The joy will evaporate to your senses if you do not ingest Christ, guys. And if you come to this feast of Jesus and you're unwilling to love anybody you come into contact with, what what it does is that it has the opposite effect. It's like poison. It makes your heart even more hard instead of softening it. But if you come broken and if you come defiled and you know that you need him, it will give life to your soul. It will give life to your body. It will give you spiritual nourishment along the way to your future destiny. Once when I was in college, I wanted to run fast on a treadmill in front of some classmates in a gym. And uh, the tread on this particular machine was quite deep. And I fell. And great was the fall. I uh, skinned my my arm up pretty good and my leg, and I, I began to bleed. Um, and I remember this, this guy, he had an electric wheelchair. He wheeled up next to me, and he just looked at me and he said, hey, man, are you okay? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I am so glad that anyone would want to talk to me right now. And it was like he sort of restored 
my humanity. And one of the things that, that we often do, you know, I, I, I think about that moment, I'm just like, man, um, A, I was foolish enough to think that anyone would even care about how fast you run on a treadmill. Like, who thinks that? Um, and oftentimes we walk through life and just like, I want to avoid, avoid moments like that, if at all possible, because it's just so humiliating and embarrassing, right? Um, but if that had not happened, uh, I would not have gotten to experience the dignity of my friend in the wheelchair, nor would I have even noticed him. And I think that's how the gospel functions in our lives. It's always there, but it's often hidden from our eyes because we're busy running. And these, there are these beautiful gifts of grace in our lives when we fall. And we all have a treadmill, by the way, trying to prove ourselves to each other, trying to prove ourselves to those in our lives that we're trying to gain the love of. And what Jesus has come to do is that when you're on the ground, he offers you his hand and he says, you know, you don't have to live like that. You can go a different way. You can live a different way. And the way that God wants you to live is to know that he loves you to the very end of yourself. That when you are on the ground, that's when you understand, oh my gosh, he loves all of me. He sees all of it. And he does not look away. Look, guys, that's when this meal is called communion. This is when God becomes intimate to the heart of a human being. This is what it means to be married to God. That he sees all of you and he likes what he sees. Because he loves you to the very end of yourself. And that's the future. That's the future of what you and I are destined for when we take Jesus into ourselves. We feast on the abundance of his delights. This is what Revelation 19 is talking about. When the king is on the throne, the whole world exults. It has joy. It has the wine of abundance. And it, then it says, Blessed are all those who are invited to this great marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what it means to practice that glory. To, to take the supper in faith, which is what we're called to do, is that the next time you are on the ground, the next time you are repulsed by another human being, the next time you just cannot seem to let go of your bitterness or anger, you can't do it. doesn't seem like it. The next time you relapse, whether it's porn or alcohol, whatever your thing is, you need to know that the truer reality of who you are is not that you've fallen, but it's that God loves you and that you are perfect in His sight and that He wants to marry you especially when you're on the ground and you've had that terrible day. That's when you know what intimacy with God is like. And when you take that in, what you're doing is that you're experiencing 
your future self. It's what the end of Revelation says, that the bride and the Spirit of God are saying to your present self, come. Keep on that path. Come. Come into the reality of what it's like to have fellowship with God without shame. That's the true marriage supper of the Lamb. It's what all of our marriages, if we're lucky enough to get married in this life, it's just a mirror of what's to come. That humanity and God will be one with one another. John Calvin was very adamant about not explaining uh, the Lord's Supper away because he said it's very hard to understand it. It's a mystery. But then he, he would say that and then list 60 articles of explanation about what it is and what it isn't. Um, but what he says is that, you know, what we really know is that it's very, very good and very, very intimate. Everything else is pretty much incomprehensible to the human spirit. We know in some mysterious spiritual way that God is with us at this table and he seals his love into us because Jesus is shown to us so plainly. And everything on this side of death is preparation for that night. I was talking with Micah Erdman this week. Sorry, Micah, I didn't warn you. I was going to say this, but we were talking about how the brain works. And um, it's like sometimes it's, you, it's very hard to grasp something the day of. And we were talking about math. You know, like when you're in math class and you're taking count. Cal- calculus for the first time, and you're like trying to understand, you're trying to understand, trying to understand, and you just, your brain can't get it. And then you go to sleep, and something happens in that space when you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you're like, oh, I got it. And what's happening there is that in the repose of the brain, in the rest of the brain, your synapses are connecting the dots, and you're like, oh, okay. I think that's what heaven is going to be like. That all of this life is, we have these disciplines and we're, and we're trying to understand how much God loves us. We're trying to understand what life is about. And I think when we wake up in heaven, we're like, oh, the synapses of your heart and your soul will, will connect. You know, like it's, it's, it's all about God. And when I see that, I have joy. I come into my own. Sacraments were first called in uh, the Latin church fathers, they called them medias, media. It's a Latin word that meant a way or medium through which God conveys his grace or what he's like to us. And the apostle Paul describes the supper as our participation or our community or fellowship in the blood of Christ because we all share the same loaf. That was the original meaning of the sharing of Christ, by the way. This is how we shared Christ, through his body. He was the center way or the medium through which God was forming a new human society. If I can say it this way, and we're coming to a close, this was the original social media. Except it was embodied. And not like looking at a phone. It it was human beings coming together through something else that held them strong in the same community, even though they had a lot of differences, even though they had a lot of stuff they had to work through. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians. Even though they had disagreements, but that wasn't the point. The point was when Jesus is the point of a community, it becomes eternal. 
It lasts forever. And you may be like, well, I've never seen that in the church. Well, could, could you believe that others have? Could you believe that you're going to wake up one day on the other side and things are going to click and you're going to be like, oh, that, that's what God was doing all along, <laughs> the whole time. And it's going to be, inst- instead of like learning a new math problem, it'll be much more like when your muscles first learn to ride a bike and your body gets it. Or when you sit down to a meal that's the best meal that you've ever had. Or the first, like what scripture says, it's going to be more, more like the first night of a wedding. Like being tossed up in the air by a lion. Uh, those are the images that scripture gives us of what it's like to be with God. And we practice that here at this table because at this table we're reminded that with Jesus, uh, the joy will never, ever run out. Ever. It just keeps on going. And the next day will be better than the previous. That's what we practice at this table. Let, let's pray and uh, give thanks. Father, this, this is a, an amazing um, truth that we get to experience with one another at this table. And it does remind us of something that we, we sort of anciently know is true, but something also that we're destined for in the future, which is intimacy with you. And when we have intimacy with you, you form a community around that. And so, Lord, be uh, the center right now. Be the, the first in our minds and hearts and help things to begin to click into place um, through confession assurance and at your at your table in Christ's name, Amen.